talking about the paradigm shift, one of the things that I'm believing in as I'm seeing the world change around us is that God is doing something fundamentally different. And I want you to know this, whenever God does something, it comes with a lot of resistance. There's a lot of conflict. As I told you last week, whenever there's going to be a messianic move of God, the earth seems very tumultuous. When you start seeing babies being thrown into rivers, messiahs are on the horizon. You start seeing little children being slaughtered, then God is going to do something. So think it not strange in our time that when God gets ready to do something, what we're calling that shift, there is a lot of kerfuffle. And what I've discovered, because I will never ever not be held responsibility for things that I may have done wrong, nor should you, but I've discovered that what the enemy does is he manipulates your weaknesses to create the kerfuffle so that you will miss what God is doing, thinking that you're focusing on something that's really serious and you actually miss the fact that there is a Messiah being born somewhere in Bethlehem. I want to talk to you about the paradigm shift. I'm going to walk you through some things. Again, I want to encourage you, please make notes. Please assess the message, not based on Pastor Minkel's eloquence or lack thereof, but based on the moment and let the moment assess the message and let the message assess the moment. The paradigm shift. Perhaps one of the tech guys can come and just help me with this. It's not responding to the, to the PowerPoint. Thank you. All right, it's working now. The primary objective of this message is going to take about six weeks. It's to get us in the body of Christ globally thinking differently. You say, Pastor, I'm fine. The way I'm thinking is fine. That may be true. But I want you to assess how you think when it comes to God, His church, and what He might be doing. That's the objective. Get us thinking differently. There are two scriptures I told you I'm going to be using. 2 Timothy chapter 2 speaks about striving for masteries. Isaiah chapter 2 speaks about the mountain of God's house being exalted above the mountains. And those are the scriptures that I'm going to be using. We looked at this moment this global shutdown, this pandemic, this COVID-19 era that's lasted over 18 months, trying to figure out what is God doing in this moment? And we realize that God, he, he is the one that's actually slowed us down. He's the one that's actually created this pause so that we may do four strategic things. He hasn't created this moment for us to complain about what's not open, what we can't enjoy, the fact that we've got to wear masks, that's not really the real purpose. And so when you see people fighting about wearing masks or taking a COVID shot, those are the distractions because that's not the focus. The focus is not on uh, whether there's a vaccine passport or not. That's a triviality. The focus is in four areas. You ready for this? Number one, God wants us as his people to reflect. You say, well, pastor, how is that? Because we were also, as a corporate gathering, we were also shut down. And as glorious as God is, and as powerful as God is, for some reason, God did not give us a response to what's going on. That's an interesting thing. Someone called me on Wednesday in my, when we do the conversations, and they said, well, if we were doing kingdom, then we would have had a, a, a solution of healing. But somehow, there was no solution of healing for this moment. Somehow we couldn't wave a spiritual wand, shout loud enough, 
and it bring healing to the nations. So God caused a moment of reflection. Number two, a moment to rethink the things that we're doing. And number three, a moment to restructure, to set things in proper order before we say God is going to move in the earth. And lastly, then we can restart. Now watch this, everyone. This is important. If we're going to reflect, we need to have the right eyes. And what we have to ask God for, hear me, everyone. We have to ask God for revelation. It is the Apostle Paul that teaches like this, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Then we will come to know what is the exceeding greatness of God's power to usward who believe. What is the hope of the saints in glory? And what God meant when he raised Jesus from the dead, set him above all principalities and powers, made him to be the head of the church, the fullness of him that fills all in all. What we need is revelation. Number two, watch this. Rethinking means that we need the right mind. And the Bible puts it like this, let, a forcible term, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We have to allow the thinking apparatus of he who is the head of the body to be at work inside of us. So that means I can't, you can't think the way I want to think and then say, God, this is acceptable. Much more thinking the way I think and then say, God, this is how you want your work to be done. God has actually allowed only one mind to operate his body. And because God is not schizophrenic, he will not allow all of our minds to give direction to his body. Only allow one mind, and so let this mind be in us. Watch. To restructure means we need the right systems. It means that the church has to think about what it means to be legal in the spirit. And can I tell you this, also legal in the natural. Over the years, what we have done is we have broken a lot of rules and then prayed about it. And God is not a rule breaker. Even when you look in the world today, you will see that if an unbeliever follows the principles of God, they can have the promises of God. Did you hear what I just said? If an unbeliever keeps the rules, he or she can have the promises of God. Because God does not break rules. That's why Paul says, if you're going to strive, you must do it lawfully. You can't break rules and then tell God, well, prayer will cover that. And number three, once we've received revelation and we're thinking properly and we've decided that we're not going to break rules, then we can restart with the right objective. And the right objective for the church is the kingdom of God. Years ago, a gentleman told me, I said, you know what? Though we talk about the kingdom, though I talk about the kingdom, though we all talk, I'm not so sure that we fully understand what the kingdom of God is all about. A gentleman told me a story. He said, he said we had gone to help out another church. And when we went to help the other, the other ministry, they were doing their service and they were short staffed. And we decided that we were going to jump in and help their staff move chairs. And, and then the other ministry said, what are you doing? Don't touch our things. Don't bring all that stuff over here. And the gentleman turned and said, but isn't this kingdom? And I said, that's not kingdom. Setting up a church service is not kingdom. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. A 
attending a church service is not the kingdom. Are you still with me this morning? Watch, evangelism is not the kingdom. Though when the kingdom is functioning properly, it evangelizes. Watch this, Christianity is not the kingdom of God. Though Christians are called to express the kingdom of God. And so I started to realize that maybe we use these terms, but we fully don't understand what it means, this kingdom of God, this thing that we're supposed to seek first, not even worry about what we eat, where we live, what we wear. Because if we've got this objective right, all these other things shall be added. And so the absence of these things speaks to perhaps a deficiency in the knowledge of a kingdom. Unless God is not telling us the truth. Because he told us, take no thought for where you live. Take no thought for what you eat. Take no thought for what you wear. For all these things the unbeliever seek. But, but, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added. So if I pray for clothing, I don't understand the kingdom. If I ask God, bless me with food, I don't understand the kingdom. It is the objective. And it is the only message that Jesus ever taught. In fact, the first words that come out of his mouth are, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to show you something. Let me go back. I want to show you something. There is a reason for reflection, revelation, rethinking, restructuring. When you look around, you will see that there's a new world that's here. It's qualitatively different from the pre-pandemic world. It's changing rapidly. I want to show you some qualities. We're living now in a world without borders. Technology has collapsed time and space. There is no such thing as borders anymore in this world. Technology has collapsed time and space for those of us who are in Kenya watching. There are no borders in this world. Watch. It's a world that's fueled by a, an abundance of information. Everyone's got information. We're walking around with the world in our pocket. It's called a smartphone. Everyone has an availability of knowledge. No matter what you say about it, everyone has access to knowledge. Watch. It's a world that's driven by liberal views, extreme liberal views. We're trying to figure out our gender. We're trying to figure out if gender is fluid or not. We're trying to make sense out of all these things. In fact, we just voted in a liberal government. It's a liberal world. We're trying to make sense out of pro-life, pro-choice. All of these things are shaping the world around us. It's a world that's moving a lot faster. We just started the month of September. It's over this week. It's a world that's moving rapidly. It's changing with knowledge. Watch. There are no more traditional borders. It doesn't matter what you say about traditional values. There are no more traditional borders. We've entered a true global village. Everyone is interconnected. The internet has done its job. Social media is doing its job. Technology continues to do its job. The question is, will we, the body of Christ, will we transition to effectively meet the needs 
and not just meet the needs, but lead this world. Because we're not even supposed to be following this world. We are supposed to be leading it. I want you to think through the things that I'm saying. You will see that much of our conversation has to shift. Our approach to addressing issues has to, has to shift. Because God is doing a new thing. There are three things that I sense that's going to happen. Number one, and this is based on the fact that I don't believe that we have the attention of the world. I said, oh no, pastor. Oh no, no, no. There are people who have, have, have uh, 300 views on their service last week. 300 views. Well, go watch Justin Bieber and see he has 300 million views. Oh no, pastor. Uh, so-and-so has seven, 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 700 views on theirs. Go watch someone else who has 500 million views. We do not have the attention of the world. We do not have the attention of the world. How is God going to bring their attention? A release of authentic miracles. This is what's coming to the body. A wave of authentic miracles. Not as a destination, but as a means of getting people's attention. Watch, I'm not making this up. You will see the days come. when I'm not talking about people doing silly things like bottling water and selling it throwing salt. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about authentic miracles like Jesus did, where the limbs will grow back, not as a destination, but as a means to get people's attention. Watch what I'm saying, where the dead will get up and come back to life, not as a destination, but as a means to get people's attention. Because once you have their attention, by the way, I got to tell you this, miracles are never a destination. In fact, when Jesus talks about miracles, he calls it fish and bread. It's just a means to get your attention so that we can do this. Watch. We can share a message. I went the wrong way. Let me apologize. So that we can share a message with the world. Once they are listening, our job is not to scream anymore. It's to share a clear, practical message about two things. Jesus and his kingdom. This is the age of the Son of God. It's not the age of Oromigal. It's not the age of church personalities. It is the age of the Son of God. There is only one person. It's not the worship leader's time. It's not the preacher's time. Because none of us have done the work that the Son has done. And the Father has given the Son all attention in this moment. It's the age of the Son of God. It is the age of His kingdom. Once we have their attention, our assignment is to teach a clear message. And we have to set it not in ethereal terms, but in practical terms. So that people can get up and say, I need to do this, this, and this. They don't have to guess. We don't need, watch this, I hope you're not offended. We don't need any more blood sprinkled. We need someone to tell us what to do. What is the next move in my life? How do I make the right decision over here and make sure that it aligns with God's kingdom? And when we start doing that, pointing back to him, pointing back to his kingdom. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, as I'm talking, perhaps I want you to think about this. Maybe this is a moment for us to become John the Baptist. Perhaps this is a moment for us to say, no, there's one coming that's greater than us. 
and all we are is a voice in this wilderness pointing you to him we're not even worthy to stoop down to loose his sandals but he's the one that's going to baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire when we start doing that you will see not conversions of individuals but can i make a bold statement conversion of nations god's not at an, he's not at an individual level any longer he's at a national level according to the order of god he's not in jerusalem he's not in judea he's not in samaria he's now in the uttermost parts of the earth seeking to win nations back to him oh my god yes and then when we teach that message and there's conversion this is where ministry starts and ministry is this ministry is equipping people to lead to function in the subworlds of this world that's what ministry is it's equipping people telling them listen there's a mountain for you to occupy there's a subworld for you to be lord in and we're to prepare you to lead in that world so that god can be glorified in all of life let's keep going a little further watch there's a biblical foundation for the new isaiah said god said behold i'm going to do a new thing and i think this is the moment for that but here is what i'm going to say is the struggle that we're going to face the struggle that the body of christ faces is that we are fragmented we're fragmented because there is no regulation over the body we are the only industry, we're the only institution that is unregulated. You can't even buy liquor unless the LCBO regulates it. You can't be a lawyer unless the Upper Canada Society says okay. You can't open a bank unless the Canadian Bankers Association tells you you can. But anyone can start a church. You don't have to be trained to do it. You don't have to be educated to do it. You just have to say, God called me. You just have to be angry with someone to do it. You just have to be dissatisfied about something to do it. Because we are fragmented. And when we are fragmented, every man does what's right in his own eyes. I hope you hear what I'm saying. This is something that we as leaders cannot fix. Only God is going to fix this. In other words, God is going to come and he's going to move the pieces together to bring his body in alignment. Oh yes, he will. In other words, what he will expect of us leaders is to prophesy to bones. And after we have prophesied to bones, he will send a wind. And that wind will begin to put the pieces together. So that we will understand that we cannot do anything in fragmentation. But all things must be done in unification. While that is happening, watch this brothers and sisters. There's also strongholds. You said, Pastor, you're over there in the demonic. I am not in the demonic. Can I make a bold statement? A stronghold is not a demon. Let me say it again. A stronghold is not a demon. A stronghold is the way that I think. It's the way you think for the weapons of our warfare they are not carnal but they are mighty through god to the pulling down of 
strongholds. Well, do you mean demons, pastor? No, casting down imaginations. Every high and lofty thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Over the years, it's the way we think. It's the psyche of the church that's kept us back. A stronghold is a castle of thought. It defends against truth. So even when you're hearing truth, you resist it. Can I show you something else? But you open yourself up to all kind of falsehood. It's a stronghold. It is a stronghold. We've got to change the way we are thinking. I call that fossilization where we're steeped in certain ways of thinking and don't want to change how we think. The solution, the solution is that we begin a conversation about the kingdom of God. We provide definitions. I'll give you a definition this morning. It's having dominion in and over every discipline. I didn't make that up. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when God says, let them have dominion over the fish, the fowl, and the, and the land animals. Over all zones, let them have dominion. He continues that in Psalm 110, that they should rule in the midst of their enemies. He continues that in Proverbs 29, verse 2. He tells you how beautiful it is when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. It is always God's desire for us to rule in every discipline. Can I make a statement to you? Over the years, I think we've been very bold inside of buildings that we've called sanctuaries, but have very little say in the disciplines of life. Watch this, brothers and sisters. What is a discipline then, since we are supposed to have dominion? Well, it's simple. God has given to everyone gifts, talents, and abilities. When you begin to work out those gifts, talents, and abilities, you're actually creating a discipline from the very beginning. A discipline is the outworking of a gift or a talent. Let me show you what I mean. When you work out a discipline or a gift, you actually create a field. Now that's amazing because that's what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that sowed seeds in his field. But I'm not talking about farming. I'm talking about the field of medicine. I'm talking about the field of entertainment. I'm talking about the field of business. A discipline is also an industry. You can find this in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain's boys begin to develop industries. That's what a discipline is. It's an industry. Notice we call it a discipline. The Lord calls us disciples. I think that's amazing. Watch again. A discipline is also a subworld. And the Bible talks about the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Well, the fullness thereof are all the subworlds. All the subworlds that make up the fullness thereof. They all belong to God. But in the word of God, a discipline is actually a mountain. It's a high place. That's why the mountain of God is a mountain of peaks. It's a mountain of high places. That is where the real fight takes place. The real fight doesn't take place here. Christians fight each other here for sport. That's not the real fight. The real fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness that are set in high places. We don't have time this morning. I'm almost through. But if you do a study on mountains, you will see that every significant thing in the Bible takes place on a mountain. 
In other words, the significant things of life take place in the disciplines of life. Doesn't matter what it is, everything takes place in the disciplines of life. Watch. Here's the example. If I have the gift of teaching, then guess what? I'm in the discipline, I'm in the field, or I'm in the mountain of academics. That's my mountain. I can go on and show you how it works in medicine. I can show you how it works in athletics. I can show you how it works in music, entertainment, etc., etc. Watch this, and then I'm going to come down. Watch this. When your gift matches your mountain, you are rightly placed in life. I want you to think about that. Robert, are you ready for me? Watch. When your gift matches your mountain, you are rightly placed. When your gift does not match your mountain, you are displaced. Watch. When you are displaced, you have a job. When you are rightly placed, you have a calling. Let, let everyone abide in their calling. That's what God intends. He intends for your gift to match your mountain. All you need to do is to think about this. You don't have to get an attitude. You don't have to be offended. Just think about it. I say, wait a minute. The gift and the abilities that I have, do they match my mountain? This is an interesting thing because, watch again. God desires his people to function at the top of every mountain for his glory. Now I realize why I'm quoting Deuteronomy 28. But can I be honest with you? You don't have to be honest with me. I'll be with you. I'm not seeing the results of that. I'm telling myself that I'm the head, Dalton. I'm not the tail. I'm above only. I'm never beneath. And then the rest goes on that I should be a lender, not a borrower. Nations should come to me. But I'm not seeing that. Because I don't understand this idea of the kingdom. I sort of help out the ministry with my gifts, but that's really not what I do. I, I actually work over here, but I'm gifted to do this. And I'm caught between two because my gift doesn't take care of me. My job does. And I'm questioning because my gift is where my passion percolates. And I don't want to walk around saying I'm displaced because then I have to do something about it. So it's easier for me to have an attitude with where I'm working than to say, wait a minute, am I where God would have me to be? That's how we start. We just start by understanding the kingdom of God. When we come back next week, I want to share with you how your gifts actually create these subworlds. Then I want to show you the importance of governance, not government as we know it, but the importance of governance. What's required in the body of Christ? What makes us different from everybody else? What sets us apart? Because God calls us, whether it's in the old or the new covenant, he calls us a kingdom of priests, a peculiar people, a holy nation, called out of darkness into marvelous light to show forth his praise. Would you rise on your feet this morning, even at home? 
I just need you for just 30 more seconds. I want you to take 30 seconds in these remaining moments. I want you to think about the world that we're in right now. I want you to think about the importance of focus, where your thoughts go, what are you thinking about? Then you'll understand why there's so much distraction. Then you understand why there's so much kerfuffle. But you spend your days ruminating on and focused on. And ask yourself, because we're going to do this thing. I've decided I'm not going to. But if you're not careful, we'll do this cyclical thing until the Lord comes. And I've, got, I've asked myself, I said, the way we do ministry, is that really a threat to the enemy? The truth is when you study the world, you realize it's not a threat to the enemy. The only thing the enemy is afraid of is the kingdom of God at its strength. So he will do everything in his power, including throwing the kitchen sink at you to stop the kingdom of God from rising. Lift your hands, everybody, just for a moment, even online. Our prayer is simple. It's not difficult. Thy kingdom come. That's what we're believing, God. Teach me. Show me. Help me to understand the kingdom. Align me. Change my thoughts. Take authority over the way that I think. I cast away all wineskins of thought that I might embrace the new thought. That you might do a new thing in the earth because I believe that you are God. I believe on this mountain, Carmel, that you are God and I will not halt between two opinions. Baal is not God. You are God. And I need the world to know that there is only one God. I need people to see the kingdom of God, not the deficiencies of Oromiko, so-and-so, so-and-so, or the church, but I need them to see the glory of God. That's my prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, let your kingdom reign in the earth. Be God, be Lord, be sovereign, and be master. In Jesus' name.